welcome. Lovely to be here and speaking tonight. And um, particularly if we haven't met, hi. Um, do come and say hello to me afterwards. I'd love to get to know you a bit better. Um, as uh, Ed said, um, I am married to Tim, and uh, he's got a lot to answer for, and you're going to hear about that in a minute. So, you know, during um, lockdown, I don't know whether you had this, but all of my friends seem to be starting new skills, like developing themselves in some way. So some of them took up different crafting things, it's my age, but they'd be doing like crochet or something like that. Um, my husband started running. Um, our friends who went wild swimming. Why, why would you do that? It's freezing. Um, uh, but do you know what? I was feeling a little bit left out that they were all doing new things and I wasn't doing anything. So the other week, we found ourselves without either of our kids at home. One of them's off at uni and the other one was off for a week with her school. And so I said to Tim, do you want to teach me how to ride a motorbike? As you do. What you need to know about Tim is when we met about 20 odd years ago, he'd already owned 60 motorbikes. That's six zero. Uh, buying, selling them, buying, selling them. So you could say that he's a little bit obsessed with motorbikes. And that hasn't stopped. I haven't managed to kind of drill that out of him yet. He's kept buying and selling bikes all the way through. And all the time that we've been married, I hardly ever go on any of his bikes. I hate it, to be honest. I mean, the main reason being that when he has a new bike, he likes to clean it so much. And he uses Mr. Sheen on the seat, which you can imagine sitting on the back is not fun. You're like sliding all over the shop. So, um, so anyway, so when I said to him, can I learn how to ride a motorbike? <laughs> it was like all these Christmases had come at once. His face was so full of glee and he, like pretty much we were packed up and out the door straight away. But what I had forgotten is that my husband also loves gadgets pretty much as much as he loves motorbikes. So when we arrived, out of his bag came a GoPro, a drone and a camera because he thought this really um, sort of vulnerable moment of me learning something new needed to be documented so that I could be embarrassed forever. <laughs> I'm thinking that's his thought process anyway. So, um, so he did it and has put it all into a lovely little film and everything for us to laugh at. Would you like to see it? Yeah. <laughs> Would you? Okay. So is it in neutral at the moment? <laughs> So you've got the clutch here, that's in neutral, and then these are your gears here. That one there? Yeah. The first issue is I can't find the... Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's... Watch out, I'm going to run you over. OK, here we go. Right, this time you're going to nail it, ready? Oh! Okay, this is it. Very, just ease it out. That's it. Oh. Okay, this is it. Oh. I move. Steady. Definitely got this. Got me. Right. 
goodness it was way harder than I thought it was going to be and every time I thought I was getting the hang of it then I realized that there was some other bit that I needed to be able to do to keep this thing going and uh, what I didn't think you needed to see is that when I then very confidently drove off into the distance when I then tried to stop that wasn't a skill I'd yet accomplished so I fell off again and the lovely Tim said to me would you like to try it again but go into second gear this time <laughs> no not really I think I'm done now I've mastered this Oh my gosh, it's really hard, isn't it, trying new things? But that is, that's what learning and, and, and persevering is all about. We, we try something and we try it and it fails and we try it again and it fails and we have to keep on going and keep on learning. And just when we think we've got there, something else comes ahead and you realise just how far you're still going on your journey. That is how it is for all of us. And today we're going to be um, looking at our series again on a church called Two. And we're going to be doing it by looking at our final one, which is a church called to persevere. So we're going to be looking at how we as a church can have that ability to keep going at things, to get from all of our hopes and our dreams, get them from just ideas to plans to actions, and to keep going despite challenges. And that requires courage, but not just that kind of courage in the moment. Uh, somebody once said that perseverance is bravery but in slow motion. And I really like that, because I think that's, that sums up that nature of perseverance. It's not just a moment, it's keeping on, keeping on through situations. I don't know what perseverance means for you. You might hate it. You might be one of those people that actually, if something's hard, you take it as a sign from the Lord that this is going wrong, and you need to quit and go on to something that feels a lot nicer. That might be your reaction to perseverance. But I'm also guessing that deep down, you know that nothing good ever came easy. So you have to learn to persevere. Or perhaps you're one of those people that just can't help themselves but persevere. And you're, you're so committed and you have such a strong sense of duty that sometimes, even when everyone around you can see that you're flogging a dead horse or that the road that you're going on is leading to an absolute dead end, you keep on persevering and you can't let things go when you need to. Or perhaps you're persevering because you've got, actually got no other choice but to persevere. Life can be really, really hard sometimes, can't it? And however much you try and however much you try and change your circumstances, whatever you do, even how much you're praying about something, the situation doesn't change. So you find yourself having to just keep going and waiting well, however you feel today about this idea of perseverance, the passage that we're going to look at today from Hebrews has some real wisdom for us. I'd love you to look it up on your phones or if you've got a Bible. It's from Hebrews 12, and I've also got it on the screen here. If you haven't got anything on your phone, you can even Google it. Hebrews 12, I bet it will come up. It begins, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it starts by reminding us we're not alone. We've got a crowd cheering us on, such a great cloud of witnesses, it says. So who is that cloud? Well, there's a clue in that first word, the therefore. The therefore refers back to the chapter that we've just finished in chapter 11, where there's this whole list of people of faith that have really kept going with God. And these aren't like some kind of Marvel superhero people of faith. They're people just like you and me. They're just normal people, and they muck things up, and they get it wrong, and they fall over, and they have to bring themselves back up again. They're those kind of people. And they're there in the stands cheering us on, like Tim. You've got this. You've got this. Because they've run this race, and they've passed the baton on, and it's been passed on, and it's been passed on, and now we've got it. We're the ones running, and they're the ones cheering. I like to think they're a little bit like me when I used to go and watch my kids running at Exeter Arena. Um, I, they used to go there with the school, and um, eat however much I talked to myself before I went and told myself I needed to be sedate and reserved. And just, you know, isn't it great that they're just taking part? It doesn't matter whether they win or lose. Isn't it just lovely? That kind of, I'd give that talk to myself, and then I'd be sat there, and my kids would start running. And I'd be like, come on! You've got this! Go, go, go! And sometimes I have to admit, uh, I probably went a bit too far. And the way I would know is because my beautiful children would give me the look. You know the look? The look that's like this. And sometimes accompanied by, it's very, it's very hard to discern, but sometimes accompanied by the very tiny little head shake. Like this. It's, it's basically my kids' version of, wait till I get you home. That's, that's the language of it. But do you know what? I, I'm like 100% rooting for them. I'm like, come on. I so want to see them succeed. I so want them to do their best and to feel proud of themselves once they've finished. That's what I'm doing. I'm busy rooting for them. Well, just like we, just like me as a, as a mum cheered on my kids, I don't think we can persevere without our own cheerleaders. And along with that great cloud of witnesses, we've also got each other. We can be each other's cheerleaders. We're not running this race against each other. We're a team running together. And anyone who's a Christian here, that's why we've got the church. Because we come together to encourage each other, to be each other's team. And sometimes that involves being somebody's cheerleader. You've got this. Come on. Chanting their name. Come on, come on. Sometimes we're each other's support crew. Sometimes we're there literally sort of just giving them what they need in that moment. And sometimes we carry each other. That's what we do to be able to persevere. So the first thing we need is to gather a team. Gather a team alongside our people from, from the past. There's a great verse actually in Paul. I don't know if it can come up. I think I've missed it. But there's a great verse that Paul writes in Romans where he says, everything that was taught in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So these people who have already journeyed in the past, they can keep us going. They can give us encouragement and hope, as can our, our team now. So we gather this team. That's why I read the Old Testament. 
read some of these guys and the stories and the things that they've gone through, some of these powerful women who, against all odds, living in massive patriarchy, managed to live these lives of faith. That's why I read it. It encourages me to keep going. So we gather a team. But we also need to leave our baggage. It goes on to say, doesn't it? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I love watching the marathon. You can probably tell from my reaction to my husband running that I'm never going to run a marathon. But I love watching the marathon on TV because I love looking at all the ridiculous outfits that people wear when they run. Have you seen all the different things that they wear? Some of them are just brilliant. Um, there's one. It's a rhino. I mean, pretty creative because he's running to save the rhino. Or she. Or she is running to save the rhinos. Um, but then uh, the one that I really liked is the next guy. His name was Lloyd Scott. And he ran at Indiana Jones. And he decided, in his wisdom, that he would run the marathon dragging a 160-kilogram boulder behind him. And I'm not sure I could even push a 160-kilogram boulder. Any I mean, that's a, that's a huge amount of weight. I'm not going to start like working out quite how much weight that is in people here. That might get awkward. But it's a lot of weight, isn't it? Can you imagine? dragging that sort of weight around with you for that whole distance, just dragging it the whole length of the race. Isn't that sometimes what we do in our lives? We're dragging along a whole load of weight that's just making this race way more harder than it needs to be. And that could be like just a myriad of different things. For me, um, one example is a, a bad habit that I might get into. So one of my bad habits, I know that I really, my, to run my race, I need to spend time with God. I need to be praying, I need to be reading the Bible. So I've even like downloaded some really great apps that you can get for free that, that help you pray. So I've got this one called Lectio 365. Anyone else know Lectio? Yeah, a few. Great, nice few gestures there. Um, and another one called Prayers You Go, and I've got them on my phone. You're thinking, well, where's the bad habit? This sounds great, Vanessa, well done. Keep going. The problem is, when I go to have my time and I get my phone out and I'm there and I'm like, oh, the little red circle. I've got a notification. Somebody wants to communicate with me. Never mind God, I know we were going to communicate. But, and I'm, I'm gone. I'm distracted. Like 20 minutes has gone because I've looked at that and then I've suddenly, oh, what's this here? Mindlessly scrolling. So it's those things like those bad habits. Or another thing. Um, that I have to sort of get rid of, I have to, um, what's the phrase in it, throw off, I quite like that, throw off everything, um, is my ego. Far too easily I'll be in a situation and my ego kicks in. I'm like, I'm offended by something somebody said or they haven't said or they have done or they haven't done. And I'm instantly there like distracted from what I'm supposed to be doing with God and all judgy and, and worrying about them. I need to let that stuff go. And with that I think comes like unforgiveness. You know, like when people do things against you and they hurt you, holding on to that stuff, like, don't get me wrong, there are some, like, often for me, it's a lot of petty things, and I just need to be like, just get over yourself, get rid of your ego. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes people do really hurt us. And that's, that's, not, that's not easy, that's painful, sure. But if I hold on to that unforgiveness, it's my baggage, it's not their baggage. They're, they're carrying on blissfully unaware. I'm the one that's dragging the massive boulder along with me, holding me back the whole time. So we need to kind of throw that stuff off. I wonder what are the weights that are holding you back, the weights that you're carrying, the things that you're dragging along that are making your race way harder than it needs to be. 
Perhaps it is people's expectations of you. You need to get rid of them. Or habits, certain habits. You know the habits that you're like, that never helps me. Or maybe it's an addiction. Or maybe it's unforgiveness. It could be any number of things. But we've got to leave the baggage. And then lastly, the most important thing I think comes from this passage is the next bit where it says, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I think this helps for two reasons. I think it helps because when we look at Jesus, we see our maker and we see our model. Our maker, first of all. Like literally in the book of John, it talks about how through Jesus, all things were created. All things, you and me and everything was created. So he's literally our maker in that one sense. But then in this passage, it talks about him being the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Another version puts it as creator and sustainer of our faith. So Jesus is literally our maker, the maker of our physical selves and our spiritual selves growing. He's going to care for us. He's going to sustain it. He's going to be the one that grows our faith and keeps us running. All this talk about perseverance, lovely as it is, should have a massive health warning massive health warning because it's so easy for me to be speaking and for you to be hearing you have got to work harder you have got to get rid of all of that baggage I can't believe you're still carrying that stuff around haven't you dealt with that already gracious me where's your team why haven't you gathered more people around you sort your stuff out come on you can hear that maybe you've been sat there feeling that come on do better and what you're really hearing is be better be better than you are And it's just a massive weight again. It becomes the thing that hinders when you hear that message. And it's definitely not good news. The good news, the good news is that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, he is our maker and he will be saying to us, it's not about what you can do. It's about what I've already done. And it's not about what you can do. It's what I can do through you if you'll let me. It's different. It's hopeful. The amazingly good news of Christianity is we don't have to do this life on our own. Instead of digging deeper, we get to surrender, just like Josh was talking about last week. That's what Jesus wants from us. And as we do, we can ask him for whatever help we need. What do you need? What do you need? Do you need some strength? Are you on your knees? Do you need some wisdom? You've got a decision you're trying to make and you just don't know which way do I go in this race. Is it that way? Is it that way? Do you need that guidance? Do you need like that spark of hope again? Do you feel like you've lost that hope? Whatever it is, you can ask. And the other great news is that sometimes our baggage, which can be great, doesn't just magically poof and disappear, but Jesus helps us work through it, but he also gives us the grace to know that we're works in progress. And I know in my own experience, I've often found Jesus is far more gracious with me than I am with myself. I'm like, come on, Vanessa, I can't believe you've mucked it up again. We've been here before. That's not, that's not what God's saying to me, okay? I absolutely love this quote from Corrie Ten Boone. Uh, she was a, a, a girl at the time who survived Nazi concentration camps, And she must have seen so much that made her want to just give up and throw in the towel. But she trusted God before this experience, and then she found herself in this terrible experience, but she continued to trust God. 
And she wrote this, she says, when the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. I'm always the one that wants to go and take over from the driver in those moments. But to persevere means to wait, to sit still sometimes, to trust, to seek God and to ask what we need from him, but to wait. And the great thing about going to our maker is that he knows us completely. So there's no point in putting on all those airs and graces, dear Lord, even though I'm going through this terrible time, I thank you so much for the opportunity to... No, what the heck's going on, God? My life feels like it's falling apart. That's what I read when I read the Psalms. There's this book of songs um, in the Bible, and you think, oh, songs are going to be all nice. No, they're gritty. Like, do you know there's one verse where the guy's so livid with his enemies, he's literally asking God to smash the enemy's baby's heads on rocks? Pretty gritty, Right? Not the sort of thing you'd think was appropriate to say to God. But apparently, it's in the Bible and it's okay to be that honest with God. And I think that's because God can work much better with our rawness than he can with our religious politeness. If we're raw, if we're honest with him, God's like, yeah, I can work with this. I see you. I see it all already. Now, let's move. So we set our eyes on our maker, but also our model the last bit I want to show is it goes on to say um, that he, Jesus, as our model, he set the joy before him. He says, for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him. So Jesus could persevere because he set joy before him. And so we can do the same. Jesus knew that the story wasn't over. Jesus knew that God had a plan and that although he was going through suffering, that wasn't the end of his story. What was that joy that was set before him, though? Well, I think when we hear that Jesus, we know in um, Romans it talks about how God demonstrated his love for us in sending Jesus. This was an act of showing love so that we could have a relationship with Jesus. I reckon that the joy set before Jesus was you. And you, and me. I think we were the joy that was set before Jesus that made him go, I'm going through, I'm going to keep going through this because I see the bigger picture here. I see where this is going. And he knew that in his life, through his life, despite all the heartbreak that he must have felt and all the rejections and through his death, all that pain and isolation, he knew that he was opening up the doorway for us to have a relationship <clears throat> and it hasn't stopped there. God didn't just persevere in that moment, but my experience of God is that he's constantly persevering with me all the time, calling me back, getting me off my knees. Come on, Vanessa, the, you've got this. Moving me forward, loving me, helping me on. And I think we can follow that model too. We can set joy before us because our story's not finished either. We're a work in progress and we can imagine that greater joy that is to come. I like to imagine my life like a book, and there's all these different chapters in it, and I've kind of, I've gone through like the snotty kid and the teenage rebellion. I'll speak about that another week. You don't need to hear that now. And, and then other things, like maybe like my early married life, blah, blah, blah. And then you can get to a certain chapter, and you're like, man, 
this is pretty dark. Where's this going? And it all seems to be falling apart. But we keep going. We keep turning the pages, trusting that the story will resolve, that there will be joy to come. So we persevere. So if we want to persevere, we've got to get a team. We've got to leave the baggage. But most importantly, we fix our eyes on Jesus. I want to be a church. I want to be part of a church that perseveres. I really want that. And I know that God is calling us to be that church. And the reason I know that is because God is calling us to be a church known for love. We can't be a church known for love if we're not a church that perseveres. Because love perseveres. Love doesn't just go, oh dear, the minute somebody like, has a disagreement. They work it out. The minute there's a conflict or something that feels a bit hard, love doesn't just run out the door. Love perseveres. It says so in 1 Corinthians 13. It says love endures, which I think is the same sort of thing. So you can't love without persevering. It can't work. Just like you can't love without persevering, I also think you can't persevere without love. I think you can't persevere without love. I think love is that thing that keeps us going. It's kind of like the fuel that we need as we persevere. With all the things we might want to ask God for, all those things that I spoke about earlier, I think receiving his love is the one that will help us most. And we persevere not to earn love, but because we are loved and we trust our driver. So you can't love without persevering, and you can't persevere without love. They go together. So let's be a church that perseveres together, as a team, not in our own strength, but in God's. And let's trust the driver to give us all that we need. Shall we pray?